Hey everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast and it is Groundhog Day when we're recording this. It won't be probably Groundhog Day when we're releasing this, but uh, hopefully it won't feel like Groundhog Day when you start listening to it. But this last year has felt like a lot of Groundhog Days. I don't know about you, but that's how it's felt for me. So we are in for a treat. We've got Jimmy Coleman with us and i've known jimmy i think last four years or five years almost it's been awesome getting to know him and see his journey and so we're excited to share that with you lots of cool things to share but we're going to start off like we typically do on the anything but typical podcast and that is here's the scenario jimmy you and your wife morgan are at one of your fun spartan races and she has just cheered you on. You are covered with mud and maybe a little bit of blood from some of those uh, barbed wire crawls or whatever. And uh, you are walking back to your car or to you know the award stands or whatever. And somebody is talking about you and they didn't realize that you were within earshot. What is it that you would love for, somebody to be saying about you that's what i want to know besides that guy looks great with his shirt off or something like that <laughs> yes besides <Yeah>. that. <laughs> uh, no that's that is a great question so uh i think the thing is that if i'm thinking about how i i want to be perceived by by people i do care a lot about people knowing that I'm, I'm fully applying myself. Right. And that and at the end of the day, it's, it's very similar to what, what do you want to be remembered for when, you know, at your funeral kind of question. Right. And I really, that's, that's something that's very important to me is, you know, I, I do apply myself uh, with a lot of energy in many areas, business, health uh, relationships. And I, I do want people to, to, feel like I'm, I'm really giving my very best and that I'm, I'm very disciplined and, and putting forth my, my best effort in those areas. Um, I, I think that, I think that to recap that, that they, they feel like I was pursuing greatness at all times in the areas that mattered the most. Ooh, I love it. And that is very true to everything I know about you, Jimmy. Thank you. Um, so Ben, I know you got questions. I want you to go dive into it and then we'll. I do. But, but first for anybody that, that doesn't know Jimmy, Jimmy's the founder and the chief giving officer of grow and give and the founder of lead baller, uh, which is a branch of grow and give. So we'll obviously dive into those, but before even that, before the founding of, of these companies, you had a successful and stable medical sales roles in, in career, right? So discuss leaving that because that's not an easy process right to to be in a situation where where you're comfortable you're having success and and make a a change that you did walk us through that a little bit yeah that's that's a good question i think i think of a few things when i think of that question one thing i think about is uh i did keep running into a situation where the company i was working for treated me really well uh within 11 months made me a partner in the company. And uh, uh, I just, I do feel like I was being rewarded for my hard work, especially looking back on it now. In the moment, I always wanted more. 
every time I would level up, I would, it wouldn't be enough. And it was, it was really the reality is that it was going to be hard for any company in the world to, to make me happy. And I had to be 100% in control of that situation so that if, if I wanted to influence my, my situation a little bit or, and change it, then I, it was up to me to do that. Right. And I can only point the, point the finger back at myself. And so uh, wanting some of that control was really important for me. Uh, I also began to level up the network of people that I was talking to. Uh, I think there's a long period of time when uh, I told the story to myself that maybe I'm not good enough for fill in the blank. And then I started talking to people that were doing some of those things that I didn't think I was good enough. And the reality is I, I, in some cases I felt like I was more capable than, than they were to, to do the thing that, 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 that they were doing. And so uh, it really helped me build my confidence to, to see that other people were just maybe more willing to take that risk on themselves. And, um, and, and for me, it, it, it was a process, you know, for at the very first job at a high school was selling cut cone knives. And I did that for three years and then learned the numbers game there and became more open to the, the, the sales uh, mindset and then refined that uh, became a much more professional version of, of who that, that person was through uh, working at Northwestern Mutual and then getting into the startup game. Uh, I, got to, I got to move up in the company really quickly and had a huge return on investment for my hard work because the company needed leaders. And then eventually, not even that was enough. And so uh, the next evolution of that for me was uh, to start my own business and where I was 100% in control of where I sat. Yeah. You would hit on there the, the self-talk, right? Of, of feeling like you're not good enough and then being able to already build the, or eventually build that confidence to where you are. But that's a, you said it in like five or six seconds, but that mm -hmm. is a major turnaround. That, that's a, a huge hurdle for most people to never take the leap that you did. So, so what are a couple of things that looking back and in hindsight that you remember about the evolution of that self-talk and how you were able to get yourself to the point to actually believe in yourself. It's not a, it's not an easy answer. You really do have to like walk through the fire. I actually remember for me, it was, it was even worse. Cause it's not just, are you good enough to sell water bottles, you know, have a business selling a water bottle or whatever. For me, I, I my business started out as a consulting business, which means that I'm talking to people, and telling them that they should pay me because I'm good enough. I have information that qualifies me for their thousands of dollars that they would pay me. So it's not just like, hey, my product is good enough. It's like, hey, Jimmy Coleman is good enough right. for you to pay him thousands of dollars. And, I, and then, you know, even going into it, I kind of pictured that it would, I would only be talking to people that had so much money that it, they almost didn't even notice that they paid me, right? But then, you know, I find myself in conversations with people that are putting it on credit cards because that's, that's all they can do. And, and, and is Jimmy Coleman good enough for you to even go into debt to, uh, to you know, afford to work with him? And, and that was, man, there's, there's some conversations there that I won and some that I lost. Um, and really, it wasn't, it wasn't them. It was, it was me selling myself. Uh, during that period of time. And so uh, it, it was honestly, it's a numbers game, even with, even with a process like that of having so many of those confrontations, um, meeting people that I only saw on, um, 
I saw them as celebrities in the business world, people that have millions and millions of followers meeting them in my first year of business and then being good enough to not just shake hands with those people, but also take their money too. Right. And, uh, and so it, it, it year one was really, uh, really molded me. Um, but it was a lot of just having one conversation at a time with people in my case, where it was, it was me selling myself the entire time and me selling, Hey, I'm good enough. Hey, I'm good enough. Hey, I'm good enough. And just like, you know, throughout the rest of my life uh, prior to that, I might've told myself I'm not good enough so many times that that became who I was. I had to have enough scenarios where I was telling myself and another person that, Hey, I am good enough to where I eventually was able to believe that. Yeah. So let, let's keep taking the listeners through that transition and evolution of the business, right? So mm. you're, you, you made the jump, you're doing this consulting and, and you've, you've gotten to the point now where you've gotten a really strong foothold in lead baller. So keep taking us through that transition evolution of what your company actually looks like to what it's doing now. Yeah, that's a great question. So where it started out was, you know, a lot of people I was networking with, they were internet entrepreneurs. They're selling courses and, you know, reading books like for the four hour work week kind of thing. And, and so I thought, you know, I'm just going to sell thousands and thousands of online courses and have transactions with people I've never met before and that kind of thing. And um, as I, as I began to hustle this course that I, I paid a lot of money to create, uh, I've noticed that a lot of people weren't even logging into the course and you know, that's their problem, I guess. And it's their fault, but it really bothered me because, you know, I want to wake up every day feeling like I'm actually really helping people and making a difference. And you can imagine that if I'm getting on another call to, uh, to discuss someone doing business with me and I don't even believe that they're actually going to even implement the stuff that I'm teaching them, I'm not going to be that excited to, to sell them my service. And that's going to, that's going to affect my bottom line. Right. I'm, so I'm really big on energy and just being aware of like, uh, of what is giving me energy and what's taking it away from me. And that was, that was stealing my soul, just selling these online courses that I knew people weren't going to utilize. And so, uh, so then it evolved to more, um, more consulting one companies one-on-one and like visiting, like being some, some CEOs would fly me out to come talk to their sales team and teach them our process, do a workshop. And, uh, and even then I noticed, uh, you know, a higher percentage of people implemented, but still you were the minority. And then, so I did a LinkedIn retreat where I, I got a lake mansion on, uh, on Lake Norman and people flew in from all over the country, California, New York, wherever, uh, Utah. And, uh, and for three days locked them in there and we would, we'd have their laptops open implementing all the stuff I'm teaching that way. No excuses, right. It's going to be done, but then they would fly back home. And, and again, majority of people wouldn't actually continue those daily habits, right? Because, the reality is in sales and marketing, everyone knows that the numbers game, it doesn't fail. So why doesn't everyone just play the numbers game? And there's two reasons. I'll get to the other one, uh, the second one later. But the first reason is it's just, it's a lot of work. And, you know, back to my time in Northwestern Mutual, we would have these monthly statewide monthly meetings where we would review everyone's numbers. And I always had the most activity. I, I, as a matter of fact, out of everyone in the state, I would double the second place person's activity every month. And you'd think that I'm like doing five times the amount of activity that the company tells us to do, but I was doing the minimum. They said, make 40 calls every single day. 
And I would do that. No excuses, pull over the side of the road. If I had to, I would do that every single day going back to like what I want to be remembered for. I can't, I can't look myself in the mirror and know that I'm giving my very best if I'm not at least doing what the company is asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And so I would just do that. And, and then I'd find out I'm the weird one for even doing it. And so um, I just say that to say that it's really hard for, for most people to do that daily discipline of playing the numbers game. And, uh, and so, you know, people would leave my retreat and not form these habits. And, and then I'd have to walk people through their daddy issues in order for them to just implement my marketing strategy. And so my business evolved when I had a couple companies that asked me to do the implementation for them. And that sounded like a lot of work. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm trading time for money, that, that sort of thing. But I said, you know what, let's, let's give it a try and just see what, what comes of this. Uh, you know, one company is based out of South Carolina, thousand person company. And, uh, and five weeks into the, our, our engagement with them, they said, Hey, we have too many leads. Um, like we need to put this on pause for now. And so I said, okay. And then what's funny is about that is pretty much around the same time I'm working with uh, a company that a lot of people have heard of called TikTok. And TikTok also at the same time pretty much asked me to do the lead, lead gen for an event that they had coming up where they wanted to recruit a lot of um, UI and UX designers. And so they had to fit these certain qualifications and they said, we want 150 leads in, uh, and they gave me five weeks to pull it off for this event right before COVID in February. And uh, in three weeks, I get a message and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many people, please turn it off. <laughs> and uh, and, we, and they, I think they just finally three weeks in checked the spreadsheet. There was over 1,100 people. And so, and I mean, the first week we had it, we doubled what we had like 300 then. So um, it felt really good because I actually got to fly out to LA and go to the headquarters and see this event. It was chaos. Like there's, they told everyone no, but still people showed up and, and, uh, and it, so all the rooms are packed and like standing room only and they're hot and sticky and sweaty and all that stuff. And so it was just on my end, I did my job. So it was cool to see that. And, uh, I just felt, it felt really good to see that I was really good at something. You know, this is something that has for one of the most well-known companies in the world right now, I just crushed it for them. And, and you know, again, solidifying that, you know, Jimmy being good enough thing. And it felt, it just felt really good. So Long story short, I, I started to package what I delivered for these other companies into a more of a product that could be offered to a lot of other people. And we put this training together so we could train people internally to execute it for me. And, uh, and then one night I made a post offering my services and the next, like the next day we had like 20 clients overnight and, and all of a sudden I need a lot more help putting a team of people around me that can fulfill all these, all these clients needs. And, and so from really December of 20, no. So January of 2020, we had like three people. And, uh, and then, you know, you look at January of 2021, about 30. So uh, it, was, it was a big growth year for us. And, and we really just transitioned from selling information to, uh, to selling uh, a result, uh, selling a service being done for them. So Jimmy, um, for those that are listening, um, you may not know how old this guy is, <laughs> but tell tell our, our our listeners how old you're going to be at the end of this month. Yeah, February 28th is my birthday. I was born in 1994, so 
I'll be 27 at the end of this month. All right. So uh, listen to that, folks, because um, I mean, I was having imposter com complex, you know, when I did my first turnaround at 28, and, and that was a year older than you are now. And yet, you know, you've always carried yourself as somebody older than not trying to be, but you've just had more maturity, more wisdom, at least with all of my interactions with you, which is really cool and very purpose driven. And I know that Ben is going to get into that with your title. But before we go into that, one of the things I want to ask you, because Cutco and Northwestern Mutual are pretty are, are both well known for, you know, uh, um, you kind of sink or swim, yeah. you know, and, and they're, they're both really good brands. They both have great products, well known, but there's a lot of turnover mm -hmm. early on in the sales ranks. And, you know, a lot of people get weeded out. Talk about some of the things that you learned and some of the difficulties maybe in either one of those things but things that you learned that have been stepping stones and foundational for what you're enjoying now. Yeah, it really, really does have to start with selling cut coat because I graduated high school and at the time I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at people force you to answer those questions and stuff, but I, I, I really didn't know. And so I thought, well, I, I enjoy being a role model for people. And so I just looked around at who's, who's role models for people, coaches and teachers. So maybe I'll be a teacher, right? That's, that's what, what I thought about. And over summer, I picked up the job selling knives and I even hated the idea of calling myself a salesperson at the time. That was my, that's, that's how, how far back I, I was from being in the right mentality. And what's so cool is up to that point, I was really, I was not a good student in high school. So there's, this probably played into that, that negative question I would always ask or say to myself, not being good enough. Um, but there was a lot of things around like, what's, what's wrong with Jimmy? Like he seems to be tr like really trying, but it's just like something's not clicking there. But I just, the reality, I, people like me, I'm not, I'm not fitted for a traditional school setting. I just didn't know that to be an option at the time. It wasn't as popular as people say it now. And so, uh, over the summer, I'm, I'm selling these knives to my, my friend's parents and whatever. And at the same time, the valedictorian of my high school starts the same exact time I did or a week before, really. And, uh, and I kick his butt and then I kick everyone else in the office's butt. And then I start breaking records uh, regionally and then nationally and stuff and, and getting trophies on stage and like being recognized in the real world for being good at something. Uh, where up to that point, I uh, it wasn't, I would not have been predicted to have any success really in the professional world. And so uh, I've learned a lot of things from that. One of them that, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a rule breaker and I, I don't always think the rules apply to me. And that's probably one of the reasons why, because um, in that case, society's rules didn't really apply to me. And uh, at that role is where I really learned to become less emotional about hearing the word no which uh, significantly has helped me so much. And at the end of the day, if, if you don't have enough business, you're probably not asking enough people and, and getting, <laughs> I, and I became a guerrilla marketer at that time. I, it wasn't very polished and I would, I became a manager eventually. So my job was to like build a sales team and I would get kicked off of college campuses for passing out thousands and thousands of flyers and, and 
littering the campuses with uh, with my ad my advertisements and stuff and um and kind of wore that like a badge of honor you know <laughs> and so eventually after three years of being in that i i did transition to a much more professional setting northwestern mutual right where there's still that that numbers game really pays off but you have to really learn how to smooth your edges because and that and that's really where my linkedin journey started too because i, I started just spamming people to death on linkedin i was the one of the original spammers and and what what i found out was that no one wanted their financial advisor to be the guy that was just like desperately copying and pasting messages to them and doing endless follow-up and all that stuff uh, when they first met them and so it, it really required me to become more stealthy in my approach and still have that that willingness to um, be aggressive and attack the marketplace and do all that, but do it in a way where I'm also being conscious of of the long term game and how it's received by by the marketplace, and uh, and both of those things yeah, help me out so much. So one of the other things that along that same line that you had mentioned earlier, I want to follow up on is you talked about surrounding yourself and strengthening your circle, right? Improving the people that you're around, who you're, whose brains are able to pick things like that. So what were some of those things that helped lead to the success in, in taking that leap? But then also it's very different of being a salesperson selling knives or, or <laughs> being an advisor selling yourself basically to actually running a business and now having 30 employees. So what helped lead to that success? Mentors, investing, investing in yourself, things like that. Yeah, it's going to require, it, I, I got to be like cliche, right? It's, it is that whole, you are the average of the five people that you mm -hmm. surround yourself with. And it's, that's the, that's the atomic bomb to anything else that I say, right? Because if you just, if you're in that right crew, you can't, you can't, you'd have to force yourself to not have the success that you're, that you're aspiring to and to not be the average of those five people. Like you, you'd have to try. And so you'd have to try to not accomplish that. Uh, so there's a couple of things, you know, I, I, I didn't, I dropped out of college two weeks in because I, I was, I was making like a thousand bucks a week at that point. And, and I went from, you know, working so hard every day selling knives that I was forgetting to eat because I was like chasing a goal and it was so much fun and then being sat back down in the classroom again. And, and it, it was very obvious, the contrast. And so I actually dropped out of college two weeks in and, and, uh, and started doing that. And so I was kind of raised by like BNI groups and networking groups and stuff like that. And I, I, as Gary talked about, maybe me coming across as with uh, like an older maturity it, it it's i didn't really i didn't have a college experience i i was hanging out with some a lot of gray hair people in in these networking groups and stuff like that going to business after hours and learning how to do an elevator pitch and and from as a teenager and uh so i was gonna throw in a joke there about being and i gotta say it now about being hit on by you know my friend's moms at these like business after our meetings cause they're, uh, they had too much to drink, but, um, but that was, that was, that was my life for, so maybe those aren't the circles that, uh, that led me to success. Right. But uh, horrible example, but my, my whole point is saying that is that those groups tended to evolve. And I also realized that the groups that I paid a lot of money for, I, I got a bigger return on investment for. So initially I would try to find free groups, but then 
because people would tell me, oh, well, you know, the BNI meeting, it's like $300 a year or $500 a year, which again, was a lot of money to me at the time. But then I started to think more of like, well, that's the reason why maybe you should join, right? That, that entry. And so, um, you know, nowadays, uh, and, and in between then, I joined a mastermind. I, I invested more into myself than I ever have before. It was $15,000 to be in this mastermind. But again, everyone in there is doing the things that I want to be able to do. And so I, I joined, I paid money that I didn't even have at the time to be a part of it. And, and that's, that started happening much more frequently. My, uh, my, I moved down to Charlotte, obviously at some point. And when I came down here, like something I love about this, my friend's small town is that they're usually really good people. But when you try to accomplish something of, of significance, it can make them feel small and, uh, and, and offend people sometimes. And I, when I came down to Charlotte, there was much more of a culture of, of people being, wanting to be more collaborative and, and me feeling a little more celebrated for who I was. And so that amplified it. I have a really good crew of, of friends here in the Charlotte area that, uh, that definitely produce energy and, and don't take it away and don't make me feel weird for wanting to, um, uh, to accomplish some, some really big things in my life. Uh, but yeah, I would say a lot of it came down to, uh, as far as those circles, uh, I, they range from just having really good friends that are prioritized their, their faith, their health, their, uh, their, their career. And, uh, and then also being willing to pay for friends, you know, and, and which is a little taboo, I think for some people, but, uh, finding those pockets where there's a, there's an entry, there's an entry cost. And the point of the entry cost sometimes isn't even for the organizer to make a lot of money. It's just to weed out the people aren't willing to invest in themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think those are some circles that really help me out a lot. Yeah. So I want to interject one thing, and this is, so actually Jimmy and I met in one of those groups yeah, called C12. And, um, you know, which was very purposeful, had some barriers to entry, blah, blah, blah. But even then when I met you, I would, I, I thought you were far older than you are just because there was some humility and wisdom but one of the things that I want the listeners to hear in this conversation is you could hear, oh, wow, you know, non-traditional career path, heavy sales and lead generation led to, and it's been leading to some amazing success at a very early age. But you could misinterpret that as, hey, I want to win at any cost or... I'm, I'm fiercely competitive, which it's very clear. I mean, he does Spartan races, <laughs> so he's fiercely competitive. But there's, there's another side of that that's very different. And let's talk about the name of the company that you first founded called Grow and Give, as well as your title. So tell the listeners your title and what's driving that. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, so I remember one of my friends uh, that is, is in my tight inner circle. He's actually groomsman at my wedding. Uh, we were, we were just, we were just getting back from, from like working out and playing basketball and stuff. And we're driving back to our place. And, and he says, uh, he just asked me the question, like, when do you feel most alive? 
And I thought that that's such a good question. When do you feel most alive? And I, I really boiled it down to it's whenever I'm in a state of progress and growth. And it's typically growth in one of three areas. It's a growth in my financial situation. It's a growth in my, uh, my health. Or it's, in a, it's growth in my, uh, my faith. And when I'm, whenever I'm in a state of growing in one of those three areas, it, I feel most alive. And something that I thought about as I started the company is, you know, I, I tend to ask myself, I ask myself a lot of questions. One of them is, uh, what's the point of this? <laughs> I ask myself that question a lot. And sometimes in the past that has led to very depressing answers of like, I'm in a meeting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not doing, I'm not spending my time in a way that is actually going to even matter a hundred years from now. If I feel that way, then, and I want to, I feel like claustrophobic. I want to escape the room. And so I, when I started this company, I realized that in order for me to not wake up one day and want to just, you know, burn everything to the ground for lack of a better phrase, uh, I had to make sure that I, I built it with a mission attached to it. Otherwise, one day I'd wake up and I'd say, screw all this and, and just like, and, and, and I'd ask myself that question and not have a good answer. So initially when it was selling information and it was selling it on courses, my plan was that for every course that I sold, I would find an audience that could really benefit from, but from it, but wouldn't be a potential client. And, and it, this also comes down to like a, a big thing I think about, which is like, we all have, we're all given different gifts for me. I I'm very good at filling up the calendar with, uh, with sales opportunities for myself and for other people. And again, how's that going to even matter a hundred years from now? Uh, so, and I, I'm sure that you can make an argument indirectly. You're helping businesses and stuff like that, but like, I want it to be more obvious than that. And so I thought about, uh, certain populations, like think about, low hanging fruit, people coming out of prison, they have a really hard time finding traditional jobs. And, and oftentimes even what got them in there are, is that, you know, lack of having that employee mindset to begin with, but they have a hard time finding jobs. And then they might even go back into the habits that got them into prison to begin with. And there's this cycle and, uh, and then kids grow up without fathers, which I personally think is one of the worst things that can happen to a kid. And, and then, you know, it, 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 it can ruin families. And so what is the solution? I think entrepreneurship is a great solution to that problem if they have the right tools and, and all the things they need. And, and one of the most important things in, in, in a company is if you have, if you have enough sales, you know, they say sales cures all and there's, there's argument to that, but there is something to be said for if you have a, a really nice fill it up pipeline for your business, it's really hard to fail. And so how maybe I can help people coming out of prison. And so started looking at different uh, nonprofits. There's one I highly recommend people check out. It's called Inmates to Entrepreneurs uh, based out of Raleigh, but their executive director, I know where she's based out of, out of Charlotte, North Carolina. There's really cool organizations like that you can partner with. But my, here's my idea was that for every course that I sold, I would, uh, I would donate a course to someone coming out of prison. But as you can imagine, as my, as my business model began to evolve and it became less about selling the information and more about the execution, I started becoming pretty, uh, pretty liberal with just sharing my information with whoever wanted it. So now it's, it's a thing where like, 
Hey, whoever wants my course and they can even, even your listeners, they can have, they can have my course. Yeah. I used to sell for $2,000 and uh, prove me wrong that you're, you're, you're that if I tell you that you're not going to actually even do anything with it anyways, prove me wrong. I dare you. So, um, uh, but, but now it's as we, now that we have a, a done for you service, that's the question we've been asking ourselves a lot over the past year is how can we make sure that we're bringing the grow and give element back to it? And the, again, the idea was for every time we help a business grow, we also give back. And, uh, and so it's funny, it's funny timing that you're asking me that question because something that has been on my mind and we are, we're testing it with one client, like as of, I think they're signing the contract today. So this is very, this is very, uh, very beginning stages of, of testing this out. So uh, maybe this will be great accountability to, to following through with it, but uh, we're testing out a pay per lead model and we have to be very careful because we don't want to attract clients that are asking us to do that because they couldn't pay for our services otherwise. But um, it could be a really great model for making sure that uh, we can onboard clients really fast and that we can actually even make more money per client that we work with. But how cool would like grow and give be as a, as a pay per lead company where it's even like, like we could coin the phrase give per lead where for every lead that we generate, for a company, we, you know, we make money per lead. So what if a chunk of that is going back to some of these organizations? But um, for me, I really like untapped talent. I really like finding that untapped talent. I think that people coming out of prison, there's a ton of opportunity there. I think that uh, people with autism, that is, that is an audience that we are not smart enough to know how to help uh, or how to harvest truly because they're most people know they're brilliant. It's like, how do we, how do we utilize that? And there's nonprofits that help employ people with autism. So for me, those, that's the, that's the theme of, of the organizations that we're looking to start partnering with on this give per lead model. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, something I really like about our name is that people don't with grow and give people don't really know what it is until they ask, but they want to ask. And so it, it's a great opportunity going back to me being a marketer, it's a great opportunity for, to like pull in some, some level of intrigue and, and basically get permission from people to give your elevator pitch. Right. So, so that's, that's where growing give comes from and it's, it's evolving over time. But I think what's cool is that this model that we're looking at, we're going to be able to give in a much bigger way. So, so your title remind everybody, what is your official title personally? Yeah. Chief giving officer. Okay. All right. <laughs> And what's interesting when you were at the, in this medical sales and you and your, uh, you Justin, know, yeah, you and I was going to say Lone Ranger and Tonto <laughs> <laughs> and Justin LeQA, right? Did I pronounce it right? That's close enough. Yeah. Justin LeQA, but it can also be LeQA. So you're, okay. you're you can kind of mix yeah, it up. It's That's French, good. man. I mean, yeah. I'm from Kansas. I, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> anyway, both of you were in that C12 group. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was interesting is when you were both setting the world on fire at Mako Medical, which is a great company. I mean, mm -hmm. they're rocking and rolling, especially with oh, all yeah. the testing with COVID and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. They're just continuing to rock it. But you guys were lighting it up. Your LinkedIn also said something about giving. What was that? Yeah, and what's kind of neat is so this is uh, for those people that don't know, um, 
Mako Medical is a two-year-old medical startup in, in the Carolinas. And that's the reason we moved down to Charlotte is to help expand the company. And, uh, and Chad is the CEO and he's a pretty, he's a creative guy too. The number one reason I actually joined that company is because Chad, I saw him as someone that's being 10 to 15 years ahead of what I wanted to be really good at as well, which is a lot of things we talked about on this, on this podcast is the, is the service we provide people. So I saw it as a great opportunity to get mentorship uh, from someone that's doing it at a high level. And um, when, when we joined uh, the company, he said, you know, give yourself whatever job title you want. Uh, I mean, be careful, like throwing away, throwing around certain words and stuff, but uh, be, you know, be creative with it. And uh, I just thought on, I had, a, I had some weeks to think about it and I come to Justin, I'm like, I think we should be giver. Right. And because Mako is a really good social impact company. They get, they hire so many veterans. They uh, give back to so many nonprofits, missionaries and things like that. And, and that's a big part of, of Mako's message. And so I thought to myself, well, people are going to ask me what a giver is and I'm going to be able to tell them, well, you know, our company does this, this, and this, and the more businesses I can bring into the company, the more we can give back. And so it is really cool how it, how it came full circle with me starting my own company called grow and give and being able to be the chief giving officer. Yeah, it is, it's kind of neat to, most people don't know all those dots and how they connected. So thanks for asking that. <laughs> You had mentioned in your last answer, uh, you called yourself a marketer. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and have us get pretty tactical. So before we even dive into the tactics of it, in your mind, what are the differences between marketing and branding? So for me, and, and I, I feel like people have different opinions on this because I, I keep hearing of marketing companies that do things to me that it's more branding, right. but uh, but I don't, I don't really care, but it's, it, to me, marketing is filling your pipeline. It's, it's, uh, it's doing things that are, are like, so for us, it's like prospecting is a form of marketing, right? Whereas uh, picking what color your company should be and the logo design and, you know, the, like the graphic design kind of thing, the slogan, uh, the things like that, that's your brand, um, and there might be a more uh, a fancier way to articulate that, but, uh, but really it's the difference between like, I think doing that inbound and outbound outreach and then the brand is, is more of an, it's really to me more of an art form, um, which that I highly respect as well. But, uh, and I think the branding is also, uh, brand is, as they say, is it's what people, your brain is what people say that it is. Right. And so, uh, it's what message you're trying to convey to the rest of the world about what you stand for and all those things. But, uh, for me, marketing is all about filling your pipeline, making sure that, um, that there's enough in there. Yeah. And if, if that's one of the superpowers of yours, right, you said everybody gets, gets born with a few different strengths and <laughs> being able to fill up the calendar with, with sales meetings, things like that. So, Marketing is one of your superpowers. And then you had the story earlier of right at the beginning, those two really large clients, uh, TikTok and then the one in South Carolina, where they had to actually shut you off because it was doing so well. What were a couple strategies that helped create that success? Love that. So in, in marketing, there are certain questions. There's a series of questions that you begin to ask yourself in, in order to start with a marketing plan. And the first one is, who is the target? And becoming very clear on 
who is that target and, and, and understanding like, you know, different characteristics about them and stuff like that. But who is the target and becoming concrete on that? The second part is where do they congregate? And so, uh, you know, I could show, I, I have a lot of fun making mind maps. I guess you guys can maybe see if you're watching this, you can see behind me, I, I have one right behind my head on my whiteboard, but, uh, it really just allows me to like put what's in my head on paper or on whiteboard. But I've made one of those for, let's say, let's use TikTok as an example, right? So TikTok, they were trying to attract UI UX designers to their event based out of the Los Angeles area. And so the question is, we know who the target is, but where do they congregate? Well, one, one thing is there's obviously a platform called Meetup and there's a bunch of Meetup groups for UI UX designers. And so we created a list. There was like 25. Luckily, that was a big market to pull from. But we essentially went to every group organizer and said, hey, there's an event at TikTok. It's, it can be free of cost to your community. Um, you know, how, what's the best way for us to share it with them? And it's also really important that we made them feel like we were doing them a favor by sharing with them rather than us do, them doing us a favor by sharing it with them. Mm-hmm. And because it's TikTok, we kind of had that leverage. Yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> this, is, this is where the aggressiveness comes back in. So whether they said yes or no, we, had an, we created five other meetup profiles of people that would message people. Inside, they would join the meetup groups. They would message people inside these, these groups and say, hey, just so you know, there's a TikTok event coming up, this and that. And we met like th- tens of thousands of people we message uh, doing that. <laughs> Gary's laughing. So, <laughs> so like that, but that's just like one area that we hit. And then we also create our own meetup group called uh, UI UX of LA or something like that. And had hundreds of people sign up to be part of that group. I think that group only had one event ever and that was the TikTok event. And so we had hundreds of people from that. Uh, but then, okay, so there's that. And then the next question is like, where else do they congregate? Well, who sells to UI UX designers? That's a great question to ask. Who else sells to the people that I'm trying to sell to and, uh, and doesn't offer the same solution? And maybe in some cases does. And I'll give an example of that too. But so we thought of what technology do designers use? And we started making a list of all the, all the design tech companies and uh, and reached out to their support email and said, Hey, you know, again, making it feel like we're like, we're the prize and we're offering something to them. Um, we want to give your audience access to this TikTok event coming up where there's this speaker, this speaker, this speaker, and, and all that. And so, uh, we, we got them to share it with their list. We, uh, and then g- going back to, uh, people that also sell to the people that you sell to, and maybe even competitors to some degree, we reached out to recruiting companies that were also trying to recruit uh, designers. And, uh, and like, that's what, that was like their specialty. And we, um, we reached out to them and said, Hey, we'll give you free access to, uh, to the TikTok event. They'll be, it'll be loaded with all kinds of designers from all over LA. Uh, you just have to share the event with your email list. And then, so then they would share with their email list and, and, uh, and then we went to colleges that teach people how to become designers. So it just really like that one question, it it goes, we can keep going and going and going and going, but like, where do they congregate? And then the, the third approach, and I kind of mix that in, but then what is the strategy to get their attention Mm -hmm. and ideally, uh, make them aware in a way where again, you are the prize that's, that's preferred, but, uh, but sometimes, you know, done is better than perfect if you can't pull that off. Yeah. So who, who's the target? Where do they congregate? And, and basically how are you reaching them? Right. How are you, yeah. are you communicating to them? Yeah. Most effective way to approach them. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. 
and now after you've you've done these these different um, events with clients and and you've done this other lead generation with clients, looking back, a lot of these companies will have done their own type of marketing before coming to you, right? And didn't have success or didn't follow through or whatever reasons, and that's why they turn to you. What are some of the most common mistakes that you've seen your clients do prior to working with you? A couple of things. So let's say that uh, the reality is even some of the biggest companies in the world and something, something I, I say a lot of times is it's some oftentimes true. The bigger they are, the less they know. Uh, there is a time when I would have disqualified myself from working with some of these fortune 100 companies and TikTok's not that they're, they're doing, they're doing plenty. Uh, they're, they're, they're growing. And, uh, but then I started to realize that the bigger companies that I was talking to were the most impressed with the way my mind works and some of the strategies that I had. And so, uh, oftentimes they just weren't doing any kind of outreach at all. Uh, I had a, I had a company, I took them through a demo at one point and they said, so they're like, yeah, this looks really cool. I'm just curious. Like why, 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 do you, why is it going to work the way that you guys are doing it versus the way that, that we're doing it? And they told me that all at the time, all they had was like a website and they would like, they would post advertisements and stuff, but they weren't reaching out to people directly. Right. And so some, uh, an example I use, I always say there's a push and there's a pull. The, the pool is the attraction based marketing. That's like posting content and having a nice website. And it's going to, it's going to pull people in. You might get create awareness and get their interest, but you also need to have a push. You need to have a like daily action, uh, either one person or groups of people reaching out to people that are qualified prospects and asking for meetings. And if not asking for meetings, inviting them to some sort of lead magnet where you provide value, uh, like a webinar that's uh, about a, how to, if you're, if you're an X situation, here's how you get to Y, um, that, that sort of thing where you're providing value and then have a call to action at the end. But there needs to be some form of, of daily outreach. And then I do come across some companies that are doing that, but they're not really putting themselves in the shoes of the recipient. Kind of like how, when I left, uh, when I left Cutco and I was just spamming people on LinkedIn, I wasn't mindful of how it looked to the people that were receiving my message. I just knew that maybe one, three out of a hundred would say yes. And that's all I needed or something. And so um, when I started to put myself in the shoes of the recipient and think like, would this work on me? You know, and I started thinking that way. And, and by the way, if nowadays, if something works on me, then it's, it's really good because I know, I know all the tricks out there. Right. Um, I don't know all of them out there, but I know a lot of them out there. So if someone does something to, to try to get a meeting with me and it's creative, then I definitely will take that meeting. But, and, and, and just getting the meeting, by the way, is not the win. Uh, and I'll use a great example of this. So when I was spamming people initially, when I was reaching out to them, you know, five or six years ago, I would, even the people that told me, yes, they would get on a call and the tone was, all right, what are you selling? That was that because the way that I reach out to them, that's all that I deserved. I was treating them like a number. They're going to treat me like a number or a vendor. And that's, there wasn't anything personal about that relationship. I have a call with a company uh, last week. Their average deal size is in the nine figures. And when we reached out to them, it was like a really cool video message that we put together uh, just in their LinkedIn inbox. 
And first she responded saying, you know, I've been in sales and marketing for so long and this is the coolest way anyone's reached out to me, just complimenting, complimenting, complimenting. And then we get on a call with her and there's like, just like, like instant rapport. And she was, she had to let us know right away that she shared our video with everyone else on our team. And so the dynamic, like, it's not just about getting the meeting, but it's also the tone in which the meeting was set. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just setting ourselves up for success by, by, uh, by putting ourselves in the shoes of the person receiving that outreach. And that's where branding gets mixed in with marketing, right? Because it's not just the numbers game. It's how are you being presented and how do you look to the people you're reaching out to? Absolutely. Like we have a guy like TikTok is people give me a lot of credit for TikTok, but the reality is they're one of the easiest companies in the world to market, to, to do lead generation for, because their branding is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it, one, like their, their colors are cool and all the, the logo is cool and whatever, but, but also just, they're a very hot company right now. And especially a year ago. And so if you're invited to a thing at their headquarters, it's not like, yes, please like sign me up for that. Right. The people that we should really get the credit for are the people that don't have the brand. We have a guy named Cole from Oklahoma. who was making 5k a month. And then he, he started working with us and first six weeks made $130,000 that's who we should get the most credit for because there's not a lot of branding in there. Right. So, um, yeah, no, having that brand makes the, the marketing a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, all right, Gary, I know you want to jump in, but I, there was one thing that I want to make sure I hit on before we, we hop off this. And that is you have your 2025 vision statement in your LinkedIn bio and it's not a sentence or two. It is, it is a long, multiple paragraphs. It mixes personal, professional, the, the different things that you hit on earlier as far as like health and faith and things like that. Yeah. So why do you have that on there first off? And then what does that mean to you? Yeah, the, the short story is I was in a mastermind, right? One of these masterminds that I was in, there was about 14 guys all over the world. And prior to being even in that mastermind, I actually remember like just laying in my bed one day and and really just needing to feel like I need to get down all the things that I want in life. I need to like, just get it down on paper. And, and one time I did that, not expecting to ever share it with anyone. So I even put down things that like were very personal to me. I don't, I don't feel normally comfortable sharing with people. And, and then I was in this mastermind and the, the organizer said, Hey, by the way, I want you guys to create a vision statement and share it inside the group and just post it in our group. And, uh, I already had one. I just had to type it up now. Uh, cause I had it on a notebook paper and I shared it. I just, I clicked the share button in the group and, and put it all out there. I didn't skip a line or anything like that. And, uh, and if I remember how good it felt, like I was nervous, but then it immediately felt great that every person in that, for that small community of 14 people, they really know who I, they know who I am, right? They know my intentions and on a more intimate level, there's a really neat book not to get sidetracked, but it's called the seven levels of intimacy. And it talks about, uh, it's by a guy named Matthew Kelly that I respect a lot. And it talks about at the first level of intimacy is typically cliches. So it's like, think about the person checking out your groceries at the grocery store. They say, how's your day going? And you just give a cliche response. You say, fine, good, whatever. And uh, just, you almost don't even realize that you spoke. 
But then the next level is if you might offer like a fact, right? So it's like, how's your day going today? Great. I actually bought a dog today. And then um, maybe the next level is you might share some emotions and you say, great, I bought a dog today. It made me so happy. I wanted to cry. And then you, you, and then the next level, you might share something more, more personal. Like it was great. I bought a dog today. Made me so happy. I wanted to cry. We named him buddy after my grandfather passed away a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, like the person that's checking out your groceries wants to like give you a hug and like they, they, and they, they're rooting for you. You know, they want to see you happy and they care about you beyond just like forgetting that you even existed, that they're just like, you know, checking out your bread and your eggs and stuff. And so, um, that's, that, that's the parallel there. And I felt, I felt the, I felt the confidence after sharing with that small group of people to then just make it public on LinkedIn. And initially I didn't offer any context. There wasn't, it wasn't called 2025 or whatever vision statement. I just put it on there. And any, anytime you create affirmations, you're supposed to say, I am blank, right? I am blank. And then there's some people that started messaging me like, you have a, you have a jet, you have a private jet, you know? (laughs) And so, so I had to like add something at the very top and, (laughs) and change it a little bit. Um, and, and also some people like send me really mean messages, but then most of the time, and it still happens today. Uh, I've, I've someone messaged me like once a week and they talk about how one line item in that really, really resonated with them. And oftentimes it's the more vulnerable things that I wouldn't have been comfortable sharing with people that people point out and say, Hey, I saw you said this on your profile, really connected with me. And, uh, something that I'm, I'm also really big on. I hate doing business in a decision to vendor kind of relationship where I'm just, uh, I'm a slave to the, to the decision maker and, and whatever, like to me, I'm not, I'm not involved. I'm not interested at all unless there is a true relationship there. And I also don't like BSing with people either. So I don't like having surface level conversations. And is what's, what's really great about this is, people would go to my LinkedIn profile. They would see that stuff about me. And then we might have a meeting at some point. And immediately that wall that is usually there is, is not. And cause again, they know who they're talking to. Like they know who I am. They know where I stand on certain things. And so um, it's, it's created t- tons of value and it's, it's always just good to know. And like, I, I recommend people, sometimes we just go through life and we're just like on this hamster wheel and we don't think about why we're even doing it in the first place. And what's on my 2025 vision statement is going to be different than a lot of other people's, but I recommend you at least you write it down. So you do know why you're, why you're waking up every day. And and what you did, whether it was purposeful or not by putting that out there. And you said people are resonating with a line here or there. You're, you're subconsciously giving them permission to think about the same things of what do they want their life to look like a few years from now or whatever that is. So no, I, it was really interesting. Caught my eye, read through it a few times. Um, so I, I couldn't have, couldn't have turned the podcast off today without at least asking you about it. Yeah. Thank you. So that is an awesome way to kind of put this sucker in a bow in, in many ways. And one thing that I do want to say before Ben will close this out and how people can reach out and, and connect with you is from Cutco to Northwestern Mutual to Mako Medical to Grow and Give and now Lead Baller as part of Grow and Give. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're setting the world on fire. You've been doing it, but 
somebody could take that as hustle culture, hustle, 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 you know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can uh, mentality. It's all about me. But what that that's never been what impressed me about you, Jimmy. It was always about this more contemplative and sensitive and tender side and vulnerable side. I mean, you know, you, you've just been that. And I think you've done a great job of kind of typifying that. So um, if you were going to leave the audience with this one thing besides the techniques for hustling, the, uh, the other things, what would be one like punctuation point that you would leave with people to consider or think about as this applies, as your story may apply to them? Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, you know, and as you're, as you're saying some of those things, I do think about, uh, you, you mentioned like the hustle culture thing and, uh, and on one hand, I don't want to be a slave to money. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is to have none at all and you live in the woods and whatever. Right. And the other one is to have a lot of it. And, uh, and, and the other important component is I do want to be able to be a provider for people even outside of my direct family. Um, I see that there's, you can Google, you know, 2020 top donors in the world. And it's people donating like hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases, billions of dollars. And, and I think about how those people, if they didn't now, by the way, some of them are like Rothschild, like just come from Rockefeller money. Right. But then there's some people that are on that list that are, um, you know, quote self-made. And uh, I think about whether, you know, if those people, when they were like 24 years old or something, if they chose to take it easy and not apply themselves, how many people would have missed out on the gifts that they were intended to bring? And also, I also think about, uh, you know, I do believe that every human life has value and was created with intentionality. And so there's, and there's an intention that was, that was had when I was brought to the earth. And uh, this, is, this is maybe the guilt that I put on myself uh, or it's a big motive, but I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna let anyone down for why I was brought here. And, and I think that's a, a pretty positive, overall, it's a very positive place for being, having a motive. It's, you know, maybe, maybe at some point I'll, I will have a cool car or not, but like, that's not the motive. Um, and, and I have to think about this stuff a lot more now because I have a, I have a, a child coming in, um, in June. So that's, that'll be my first kid. And so it's making me, really think more, thank you. Make me think even, even deeper about a lot of this stuff. And so uh, at the end of the day, and, and that's like another motive too, is like basically, you know, and kids don't always hear with their, their ears, they hear with their eyes. And so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm a great representation of that. But all the things I say, I'm about to be really held accountable to when, <laughs> when I'm raising a kid. And so uh, if I'm tying a bow on it, all I'll say is that if, if someone's trying to pull from what motivates me, what inspires me, 
it's, it's chasing that person who I was created to be and, and thinking about why is it that I'm here and, uh, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm taking steps towards being that person and in all areas, it's not just by how much money I make. It's not by, uh, you know, how fast I run a Spartan race or something like that or anything like that. It's, it's, the, it's the collection of those things. And, uh, and, and the reality is if I think that my creator is, a, is a, an amazing, is an amazing thing or, or whatever, I, I need to be able to give my, my, myself permission to be great as well. And so I'll wrap up there. Perfect. Beautiful. Um, all right. So we'll put in links to, uh, to your LinkedIn page and to the, the company website. Is there anywhere else that you want people to, to be going or follow you? Yeah. How about this? I mean, if, if people want access to the course that I used to sell for a couple thousand bucks, uh, they can just shoot me an email, Jimmy at lead baller and uh, just specify that I was, that they listened to the podcast. Perfect. Put that in there too. Thanks so much. This was great. Awesome. Thanks, Jimmy, you did not disappoint. You excelled again. So thank you so much. It's an honor to know you. It's a wonderful thing having you in Charlotte, North Carolina. And same way with you, Ben. I appreciate you deeply. Uh, two guys that are about half my age. <laughs> so. Yeah, I wasn't the youngest one on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I love learning from guys like you and I love learning from people my age, but I love learning, learning from people that are much older than me too. So it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for enriching our lives today. Uh, everybody have a wonderful day. Again, you'll find us, keep checking out the new episodes as we release them on the Anything But Typical podcast. Appreciate you.